Hello and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. We're your hosts, Jill, Gracia, Dave, and Steve. And special guest star, Craig. You're not a guest star. <laughs> and Craig. And Daddy has COVID, so he's not here today, which is just sad. But he's he's okay. He's healthy and doing pretty good. It's good to hear. Yeah. So anyway, Gracia? Do you have a drink to tell us about? Yes, this uh, this drink of the week is a French martini. We had leftover Chambord from last one, so um, I was trying to be economical and use the bottle that I'd already purchased and just make a different drink. So if you haven't had a French martini, it's basically just three ingredients. It is vodka, uh, one and a half ounces, uh, Chambord, half ounce, and three quarter ounces of pineapple juice. Um, you do then add a twist, uh, shake it up, serve it in a martini glass, straight up. It's yummy, it's sweet, and it packs a little bit of a punch. How do you guys feel? It's strong. Strong and sweet. I haven't really been drinking, though, so it could be me just losing my tolerance to alcohol <laughs> or something. I don't know. But. It's tasty. I could get loaded on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a, a pumped up Cosmo because you got two, you know? Like, yeah. A few years ago, Ellen and I um, got wrecked on French martinis, but yeah, I'm just, woo. <laughs> Well, I was trying to be economical. And then for Dave, I did like a punch. I wanted him to stay in the same flavors as us. Um, so I Googled like a non-alcoholic uh, raspberry pineapple punch because ours is raspberry pineapple. His is raspberry pineapple and um, raspberry sherbet. Uh, it has raspberry ginger ale, pineapple juice, and raspberry sherbet. How do you feel, David? Oh, I like it. I, I like raspberry. So yeah. it sounds like it'd be good. Yeah, and you're supposed to put it in a big punch bowl. So mm. it's like a whole bottle of each of those things. So I hope the ratios worked out because we only made one glass. Mm -hmm. All right, so off to our story of the week, and it is me, so you guys are going to hear a lot of my voice. I apologize now for that. Um, I am doing the Neil Entwistle case. Uh, for those who don't remember, in 2006, Neil killed his wife and child. Um, and then escape the country, and we're going to talk about all of that. It happened in Hopkinton, Mass., but here we go. Oh. We're going to go with some details. That's nearby. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> all right. This is a story of young love gone wrong, way wrong. A story of two brutal murders, a story that has everything. Sex, porn, international ties, money laundering, and, of course, murder. We're going to start with the story in England in 1999. This is where the pretty, petite, South Shore-raised American named Rachel Souza was studying abroad. Rachel loved Henry Thoreau. She um, romanticized his lifestyle and very much loved the outdoors. She was on her high school honor roll, a peer mediator, an avid runner, and an excellent rower. She was so good at rowing, she talked her way into the men's team on York University's boat club in England. This is where she will meet her prince. Neil was a bright Englishman who was studying English engin uh, sorry, electronic engineering, and he was her teammate. They actually met at a boathouse on campus that everyone nicknamed Love Lane. Mm -hmm. it's so dorky. Mm. <laughs> In fact, they often rode facing each other. How sweet is that, guys? Yeah, I actually have a, a family that used to live on a street called Lover's Lane. There's a street in um, Pennsylvania called Divorce Court. <laughs> Is there the really? opposite yeah. side of that one? <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going to Divorce Court. <laughs> it's kind of clever, though. Yeah. 
Uh, they talk a lot about, uh, in the book I just finished, so I didn't get to add some of the notes with the book, but in the book it talks about how um, Neil is very standoffish and she's very, like, you know, from Southie. She's from a little more boisterous, and the fact that she sat, like, eye to eye with him made him, like, open up more. Mm. Um, so if you can kind of get their two personalities from that little comment, um, you'll see. However, they do quickly fall in love. Rachel does have to go back home to Massachusetts, though, to finish up her degree at the College of the Holy Cross. But England kept pulling her back. She returns to England in 2001. So before we talk more about their relationship, I think I'm going to jump a little bit into who Neil is, because I already kind of told you who Rachel is. Um, Neil was born September 18th, 1978. He was born near Nottingham, England. It's actually right on the edge of the Sherwood Forest. So if you can kind of remember your tales from younger of the Sherwood Forest. Hmm. That's a real forest, huh? It is. I didn't know it till those books. Yeah. <laughs> it's my ignorance a little bit there, I guess. Um, he grew up in a town called Worksop. And he grew up with his parents named Clifford and Yvonne, his younger brother, Russell. Their home was a very working class home. His father was a coal miner and his mother was a cook at the school cafeteria. Um, I think the town of Worksop plays a big role in this case, so we're going to talk about it for just a minute just to make sure you guys kind of know where he came from. Um, Worksop is a coal town, and it has the same issues as American coal towns have. With the changes in the environment and the demand for coal low, most of people are out of work and now dependent on government assistance. They have seen a crime rise with this poverty, and Neil always felt that he could, he could never be anything coming from this town. In England, his accent gave him away. He felt that people saw him as a poor, uneducated man. All right, now we'll go back to their relationship. So Neil and Rachel got married uh, August 23rd, 2003 in Plymouth, that's Massachusetts. That's my birthday. Oh, that's true. I didn't that's even right. realize that's it when good. I was writing mm -hmm. it. Mm. Uh, probably because I copied and pasted that part. But <laughs> <laughs> The dates I always copy and paste because I'm afraid I'm going to mess them up. Mm. <laughs> um, I do add some adjectives in here, of course. <laughs> Uh, they did a beautiful ceremony at a Catholic church, and then the reception was at Plymouth Plantation. If you remember, she loved Thoreau, so she kind of wanted this, like, primitive feel to her life, you know? Um, and Rachel and Neil seemed to have their perfect life. She created a website for them and to share their happiness with their friends and family. <laughs> Many involved even commented on how perfect they were together, that the wedding was just so them. But then the couple returned to England to reside in Worcestershire. I don't know if that's how you say it. Do you say it like the sauce? Anyone know? I think so. I believe so. I don't know. Or, or Worcestershire. It's Worcestershire. Worcestershire. That's how you pronounce the sauce. I've yeah. actually it's looked that It's Worcestershire, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. This one, I make sure I'm saying it right for anybody in England who hates me by the time I finish this. Um, <laughs> sorry. I apologize. They're um, petty if that's why they hate you. <laughs> that is true. I love that. Yeah, so fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> Uh, so Neil worked for a military-based company. Um, he worked in the computer section, and Rachel as an English drama and theater studies teacher at a Catholic high school. Neil would often brag that he was part of something important and had access to top-secret information. He bragged both in person and on online forums. Meaner <laughs> alert. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, usually if you have top secret information, you don't post it on Facebook. I mean, that's kind of part of maintaining your clearance. <laughs> like, I just think it, in, in many sites, like he would go on to these, like I've almost pictured chat rooms. I mean, what was 2003? Like, is, was that a chat room time? Probably Yahoo chat rooms. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I almost yeah. pictured it when they were talking about all the different chats that he used to go into that he would like, oh, I'm a top secret agent, you know. <laughs> secret agent man. 
he's really cool the whole time that's all you're gonna get out of this is neil is super yeah. cool um rachel was a very much loved as a teacher her students loved her accent that was one of the big things that like all the articles said that uh her south shore accent and her quest for life they found very inspirational and fun rachel was often the teacher the kids would go to for advice in their personal life as well as classroom she always made time for her students and loved her job on April 9, 2005, they welcomed their daughter, Lillian Rose. Rachel was so happy. Her family all stated that any, more than anything, Rachel just wanted to be a mother. Lillian was the apple of both of their eyes. Neil and Rachel now had someone to share their love with. The perfect family was complete. It's actually what she wrote, like, like a quote. Um, <laughs> she had this like obsession with posting to, posting to that website. Um, it was like neilandrachel.com or something, and they posted everything there. So, which is I pictured like a beginner Facebook. Mm. Um, she was yeah. creating it for all of her friends. What and was family. that thing? MySpace was before Facebook. You yeah, had that. Yeah, and you're like, look yeah. at me. And that yeah. was more about putting the song on and the cool background. Like, yeah. my MySpace was cool. Yeah, MySpace is where uh, what was it? One Republic actually got their start. I never had a MySpace. Yeah. You did? I didn't either, but yeah. Yeah. I did. I think we I think we all had it in college, like a few of my friends and you know. But I remember like putting songs to it and picking what my background sound would be and my background pictures. Mm. What color your wall would be because I don't think it was called the wall back then, but you had one color and then you had your post were different colors. So fun. Um cool uh note or whatever fact. Is that I had the idea for Facebook before oh, Facebook. Did you? <laughs> I actually, I, I actually that is built. That's a cool fact. Yes. <laughs> Let's explain. What do you mean you had this fact? We're going to stop for a moment, everybody. I built a little portal that was supposed to be used by, and it was called um, People View. And uh, you could sign up, fill out your information, and you can get reminders of people's birthdays and stuff. And I actually developed it, but never really went further mm. to be clear did you do this in the last couple of years no it was around <laughs> 2003 uh, when did facebook come out i think uh oh six seven and uh, i can't craig you got your google right in front of you and you're just sh shrugging yeah i'm like i don't know he's got his martini in his hand he's like i don't fucking know <laughs> yeah, it was around the time <laughs> i was i was, I was still working uh, with you guys <laughs> I didn't have a Facebook account for a long time. Now I do. But I Dave's very active on Facebook, too. Not really. I, I, know. Know. I was teasing you. Yeah. He has a Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer Twitter. Yeah. So Zuckerberg founded it in 04. 04, Steve, you were a year. Maybe he saw no, your people that, view. That does meet up with when you worked with us mm. way back when. 04, huh? Mm. All right. Could have so, been a billionaire. Could have. <laughs> Could have been a billionaire. All right, back to but the story. This is just as good. <laughs> <laughs> you all get extra points if you can name any of the other four guys that founded it with him, by the way. Oh, I don't know. Zuckerberg I just know they were dorks. Junior? Yeah. yeah. Um, big fat losers? I don't know. Yeah. They Super. might be because they're four guys nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. Super dork one, two, three. Oh, yeah. the, the Napster guy. All right. Was he part of that? Yeah, according to the movie. <laughs> I get all my information movie? from movies, so that makes sense. I forget his name, though. Actually, there's two movies about this story that I wanted to watch, and I did not get to because I got moved up a month. But um, bear did with you me. Did at least I... watch porn? Because you said there was a lot of there's porn. There's a lot of porn, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I 
had originally planned on watching the two movies too, but I jumped into the book figuring that was written by like a investigative journalist who actually went to the court case. So I wanted to kind of read that one to make sure I got my facts somewhat right. Yeah. You know. All right, so let's get back to the story. So Neil, um, they're living in Worcestershire, so you can remember where they are. They just had a baby. Um, he is going to suggest that they move to the U.S. He is growing increasingly paranoid about his hometown and the glass ceiling, quote, that it creates for his career in England. He said that the move would bring Rachel closer to her family, and he was sure it would bring them more employment opportunities on his end. Neil even mentioned to Rachel that her daily calls to her mother were getting pricey. If they moved to the States, they could save money on long-distance phone calls. Why not? Uh, Rachel loved her family and moved home right away. So they moved in with her mother and stepfather in Carver. Rachel's father died when he, she was like nine. So mm-hmm. the stepfather has been there for a long time. He's basically her father. Um, he didn't, they didn't marry right away, but he's very close. Um, Rachel's mother, Priscilla, was so happy to have them home and living with her. She loved her daughter and their family. She loved Neil. Um, one of the things in the book was saying that everybody was fooled by him and their perfect persona. They all thought that he was just the best thing ever. She often commented on how he was the perfect husband. He was loving, caring, and always taking care of his, his family. Priscilla especially was grateful for all the time she was now getting with her granddaughter that she had not met yet. They planned the christening and all seemed wonderful. Everyone loved the arrangement and the quality time given. Neil began to look for work. He did not have any luck. Um, No one was worried, though, because Neil told his family that the British company he previously worked for set up offshore accounts for him, and they were paying him $10,000 a month salary. Wow. Wow, that's pretty good. Right? You know, for doing nothing, right? Mm. And everybody believes this guy that the old military company from Britain is paying him an, in an offshore account $10,000 a month. Seems legit. Well, sometimes when people tell you wild bullshit like that, you're like, who would make that up? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, That's true. This is so This is so crazy. It's got to be true. <clears throat> Please tell me that you have the rest of the story behind that bullshit. No, they all just blindly believed him. It's the weirdest thing. All f- like only Again, I only saw four sources to this because I had to do it in like two weeks. Um, but... All four of them just say ten thousand dollars a month mm. for his like his knowledge. Hmm. Like what? Did the guy create a bomb? Like yeah, I mean that's that's quite a bit of money, one hundred and twenty thousand a year to, mean, not to not to work to not work <laughs> into an offshore. Well, it doesn't exist, so we're gonna yeah. get that right now. <laughs> um, everybody thought this was plenty until he could find his footing in the United States. What everybody did not know is what Neil had going on behind the scenes. There was, of course, no offshore accounts. Neil had tried many get-rich schemes, mostly having to do with porn. Here we go, Dave. Favorite mm. part. Dave, that's a dad thing. Speaking no. of dad, um, I just have to do it because he's not here, too. But what do you call a man with no legs? Uh-oh. What? Neil. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call a man with no legs in the leaves? Russell. <laughs> That's his brother's name. That oh, is a, that is awesome. That is crazy. I love it. His brother's name was Russell. Did you remember? Yeah. I mean, I did, but. What do you call a man with no arms and no legs in a tree? What? Art. Uh. <laughs> oh, God. And that's her dad. We grew up on those jokes. But um, boom. You guys couldn't hear it because my hand is broken and I can't really pound. Um, 
oh my god, I just had deja vu. You guys have like this moment. What do you call a woman with one leg? <laughs> Eileen. Oh no, <laughs> it's it is Eileen. Yeah. I call an Asian woman with one leg. <laughs> oh lord, Eileen. I- Irene. <laughs> <laughs> you have to stop her now. <laughs> David started that one. <laughs> David started. Yeah, but our parents told us. That. <laughs> you have to break the chain on this. Yes. What, what yes. do you call a man with no arms and no legs in water? Bob. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like buoy Bob. Like, uh, all right, back to the porn. So mostly having to do with porn. Back to porn. No more dad jokes. By 2004, Neil had had two hardcore porn sites of his own. The sites were registered under Mark Smith, but ultimately the URLs came back to Neil. One of the sites was called DeepHotSex.com. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Right, sure, Steve. Steve. Wasn't it Steve telling us about porn? Yeah, and uh, that he. What did he say? 16 was it. the okay age in his. They, they do. In his. Ninety nine. We said ninety nine percent of men go on porn. He said it was a hundred percent. He did. They just don't know it. They just don't. <laughs> they're, they're doing it subconsciously, even in their sleep. If they don't know it, they're like, "I'm they're, on porn." They're, they're dreaming about porn. it. Oh God! This site paid access to online videos of barely legal teens performing oh, sex acts. Some on each other, many in the fetish category. Another site Neil owned and promoted was based on his methods to increase the length and vitality of your erection. There was enough desperate men that Neil made a lot of money off these promises. <laughs> Neil also tried to start a network of swingers in the UK. If you got in on the ground floor, your fees were discounted. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, what are your fees for being in a swinger club? Like, I, anyways. Um... <laughs> I'm picturing like. Sorry. Greg, Greg, Google it. <laughs> Greg. Yeah, how much does it cost to join the British Swinger Club? <laughs> you know what's going to come up on your pop-ups after that? Like, I would love to see what comes up on your Facebook. I'm going to guess that venture was less successful than his websites. Yes, yeah, less successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the police were actually shocked that a man who worked with computers cleared none of his history. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get to that later when they investigate him. The Entwistles would stay in Carver for only a short time before finding their own home in Hopkinton, Mass. Neil found a house on Six Cubs Path a very desirable, in the very desirable town of Hopkinton. It was a newly built house on a dead-end road, four-bedroom, four-bath colonial with 2,400 square feet. The house, complete with the location, was the perfect place for the perfect family, and Neil wanted it. So, of course, in true Neil fashion, he contacts the owner of the home and strikes a deal. Doesn't have any money. How's he buying a house in Hopkinton, guys? Like, let's be honest, the taxes alone. Um, Neil told the owners that his money was tied up in offshore accounts, but it should be settling soon. He offered to rent the home for $2,700 a month with first, last, and security upon move-in, with the intention of when the money settled, he would then purchase the house from them. Rachel could not be happier. She believed all of this, hook, line, and sinker. Now she had her perfect family and now her dream home. Rachel told her mother that she couldn't be happier with the way her life was turning out, and they started to move in. However, things were closing in on Neil. He had taken cash advantages for the rents and deposits, and now they had no furniture to fill this home. Neil went shopping, charged everything, furnished the home fully. The problem was he had no money coming in. Neil was still applying and interviewing, but he was unable to secure anything. Although, and online, his... (laughs) Guess what, guys? Online, his porn business was also in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) 
People were submitting claims against Neil for online scams. In addition, eBay, sorry, eBay, eBay and PayPal had also filed claims against him as well. They had dozens of customers who had paid for computer products from Neil and never received them. Neil had even refiled, refiled some of these businesses in Rachel's name to keep them going, but eventually everything started to break, including Neil. Hmm. Just 10 days later, on January 20th, 2006, Rachel and Lillian's lives would come to an end. Oh. Here we go, guys. The day of the bad. Um, so the next day... Joanna Gately arrives for dinner, so she arrived on the 21st. She was an old friend of Rachel's and was very excited to see the new home and the baby. Upon arrival, she knocked on the door and rang the doorbell. No one answered. Joanna tried to call Rachel, and she actually heard the phone ringing inside the home. Joanna began to feel sick to her stomach. She knew two things. Number one, Rachel would never miss dinner with her without calling her first to say something was up, and she would have never left home without the phone. Joanna hears the family dog nervously barking and starts to look around the house. She can't get in, just around the outside of the house. Um, I should have not got off track there. Joanna then finds a note from Priscilla, Rachel's mom, saying she was unable to get a hold of her for two days. And please contact her if she's very worried. This makes Joanna even more nervous. She knows how close the mother and daughter are and knows this is not like Rachel. She calls Priscilla and they both decide to call the police. The Pop Kitchen police arrive, and they get into the house. <laughs> the guy uses a blockbuster card. Uh. Oh. <laughs> when I read the court proceeding, I thought that was funny. It's not in my notes, because, again, I just read that book like two days ago, but he took his blockbuster membership card out and <laughs> jimmied the door. Mm. I didn't really think that was a thing, but that's cool. No, you can. Depends on what type of lock, but certain types of locks will unlock with the blockbuster card. Pretty cool. Says the resident criminal. <laughs> <laughs> I still had my card. <laughs> <laughs> so the police are basically there in a wellness check, though, because they don't think anything has happened at this point in time. So he just basically, him and his partner walk around the house. Joanna grabs the dog right away because it is freaking out. So she takes it outside, takes it for a walk, gives it something to drink, that kind of thing. Um, the police do a quick walk through the house and find nothing. No sign of anyone or anything, and nothing they see is suspicious. They do note there's no car in the garage, and they assume that the family's just out. They lock the dog back in the crate and leave. That poor dog. Oh, no. Poor baby. Yeah. Joanna refuses to leave, though. So she sleeps in her car that night. She's like, I'm not going anywhere. It's January, guys, in Hopkinton. She's sleeping in her car. This chick is tough. Um, early the next morning, Joanna decides to go to the neighbors to see if anybody has a key. They do not, as many of them haven't met him yet. They've only been living there 10 days. So a lot of the neighbors don't even know him. Right. That makes sense. One tells her that they have the old garage code that the prior owner had given them, and maybe that'll work. It did. Joanna enters the house to take care of the dog and is hit by a smell. She doesn't recognize the smell, but knows it's bad. She takes the dog outside and calls the police from the outside. This time, the cops find the bodies. Rachel and Lillian were curled up in the master bed, covered by the comforter and sheets. At the time, Rachel was 27 and Lillian was just nine months old. Aww. When they pulled back the sheets, baby Lillian was lying on her back, cradled next to her mother. The state examiner moved the baby from her mother, and the cops noticed that the little girl had been shot in the stomach. The bullet had passed through her stomach and hit her mother in the torso. There was also a small hole in the center of Rachel's forehead, just above her hairline. In addition to the gun gunshot wounds, something had happened to Lillian's face. It was as if she had taken a punch or hard slap. 
that had left clear damage to her skin. There were bruises all around her left eye, her nose, and in her mouth area. All along the nostrils and lips, there were blood and mucus crusted. Nine months old. Yeah, like, I know. Shit's a nine-month-old. Well, that's the part of this case that always made me, like, you can see killing your spouse, but your kid, Jesus Christ. Nine months. This case is crazy for that reason for me. Um, the police obviously are trying to find the husband. Number one, why isn't he there? Number two, he probably did it because that's how it goes. Um, so they are unable to locate him. They put out all the information on Neil and the family, um, like, a, you know, an APB out for the vehicle. It was a white BMW and for Neil. Shortly after, they receive a call from Logan saying Neil boarded the flight yesterday. He was headed for England. He left the car in the parking lot. Upon arrival, the police found the car keys in the car, a half-drunk water bottle, and keys to his in-law's home in the vehicle. All of this evidence will come in very handy for the cops. Some reports say that the gun was in there. But the court case one said it wasn't. But they did eventually find the gun somehow. They did, yeah. Because they matched the gun. The first two reports that I read said it was in the vehicle in Logan. Yeah. But then the book I just read, which was based on the court case, says it was found at the other home. So um, police began to trace his footsteps by using his computer. They found out that hours after the death of his wife and daughter, Neil purchased a one-way ticket to London. This was about 5 a.m., his flight was for a later time, but when he checked into British Airways, he asked him if he could get out as, if he could be on standby because he'd like an earlier flight. I almost said if he could get out as soon as possible. Uh, but that's pretty much what he was doing, right? Like, I got to get the fuck out of here. This guy, guy sucks at planning. He should have bought that ticket months ago. <laughs> I, don't th- I think he just went into panic mode when things were coming in. Mm. I think that he thought he could pull everything off and he... Did they ever see if the child was dead before it was shot? Uh, she. I don't know. She. Yeah, she just shot the baby in the belly. But it was a few well, days that they were missing, they, right? Well, she said there was also injury to the face. Right. Yeah, there was. So was the child deceased? What was? Which one actually caused the death? Oh, Did yeah. he in this, lose his temper with the child, punch the child, kill the child, and then bring it over to the mother and try to shoot the mother and hit the child and the mother at the same time. That's a good point. I don't, I don't so know that answer. It's possible, but I mean, he sounds like kind of a more conventional. What they, when you think about family annihilators, they are often people who make up these outlandish claims about who they are, um, and they have all this wealth. And when everything's about to fall out from underneath. That's when they, and they don't just kill their spouse, they kill their whole families. Mm-hmm. There's been, it's been a lot of family annihilators um, historically. Um, but, you know, and that kind of sounds like what he is, but, you know, it's, it's also possible he's somebody who just completely lost his temper yeah. at, with the child because he wasn't, you know, able to, you know, deal with the, maybe the child was crying. Um, so that's all. And I didn't put this in the article, but they diagnosed him with Asperger's. And they thought some of it was that too—that his decision making wasn't. I didn't even put that in here because um, I don't. I'm not a doctor, and I'm not putting that in here. But yeah. one article I read attributed some of his decision making to his disease. The problem with that is Asperger's. Uh, you know, anything in the spectrum really doesn't. You know, it's uncommon to see violence as a. You know, it's not yeah. common in the autistic spectrum. There are people who have who are in the spectrum that 
are violent, like Adam Lanza, um, but y- you know it's not being caused by the uh, by the yeah. spectrum. Disorder. I left it out of mind because so. I didn't want to put that in there. Yeah. But one article did mention it. And I was like, eh, that's not going in there. Um, uh, so he boards the flight. Here we are. So he boards the flight um, at five eighteen a.m. And if you're kind of keeping track, the cops go in that house that night. So the first well check. 8, 8, 15 a.m., he boards the flight. They come in that night when Joanna shows up for dinner. So he's already in England chilling when they get there for that wellness check. Uh, However, Neil's speedy departure from the crime scene was not the only reason why he raised their suspicions. They found out that Neil had been Googling the following items. Different ways to commit murder. (laughs) Uh, He wanted to know more about euthanasia. Is that how you say it? Euthanasia, yeah. Yeah, euthanasia. And um, other incriminating sites for a week, he looked into poison. He looked into, like, all these different Maybe ways he that he could kill. Maybe just looking at bands. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe poison. that's what it was. Maybe that's euthanasia album. Yeah. Wow, of, Steve, you're right. You just cracked the case. <laughs> yeah, he was just looking at bands. <laughs> one of the articles said that he was looking, like, one of his Googles was, like, uh, least painful way to die, like, to kill somebody. So, that, yeah, I mean, he was, he was thinking of killing his baby. At least he was oh. thinking of them. Yeah. yeah. So it's more consistent with an annihilator. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There was a guy who got away for the longest time, and I can't remember, it was forensic files, that they used a computer technology to project what he might look like like 30 years later. And they even got the glasses right. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't that wild, the psychology? Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he kills his family in the 70s, his entire family, because they weren't, you know, they weren't, you know, going to the church the way he wanted them to, and that was part of his reputation. Reputation seems to be one of the big things with family annihilators. They want to have this admiration from others, and they create this reputation. And, and when that reputation goes to fall through, they'll kill their entire families to protect well, it. That's Neil's but, secrets, right? He said that yeah. he was like a top secret agent, and mm-hmm. he's getting money from the government, and he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, when that all started to fall through, he was actually a porn guy. Yeah. Broke. Yep. Broke porn guy. So <laughs> Porn's a big industry, too, so he yeah, must have been somewhat incompetent. Yeah, you got to be a real loser to fail in that business. <laughs> yeah. I mean. uh, well, I'll post some pictures. You guys all see what he looks like. Uh, They're going to say porn pictures. <laughs> no. There's, there'll be nothing from Ew, the deep, deep sex.com or whatever it is. We'll get, like, reported. Deep sex. Deep hot sex. Oh, there See, was he Craig. wrote it down. <laughs> Craig's I'm already not Googled it. I'm it up on my own device. <laughs> well, it, it probably is no, I mean, who's maintaining it now, right? <laughs> You're going to get, like, five I'm willing to bet somebody's got that domain. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody bought it from them. Uh, Honey, I just bought a domain. What's it called? Deeppotsex.com. <laughs> what I always so liked was somebody had bought whitehouse.com to make it a, wet, a porn site for a oh. long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys know way too much about porn. Just saying. No, you just know way too little. <laughs> <laughs> you need to keep up with We're your We're the only research. females in the room. <laughs> uh, all right, so police contacted Rachel's parents, and they quickly realized the murder weapon might be theirs. Her stepfather had taught Neil how to shoot his twenty-two. He turned the gun over to the police and mentioned that Neil had keys to the house and also knew where the gun cabinet keys were kept. Mm-hmm. In addition, don't forget all the evidence in the car. Those keys in question uh, from the house were in the car. Uh, there's a water bottle. Um, 
they take the Neil's DNA off the water bottle and it is tested. It is on the gun and the barrel of the gun matches wow, Rachel's head. Because some hair burnt onto it. Ooh. Gross, right? She must have been asleep. Well, that's where I think the euthanasia. I think he was. Like, I think he tried to like poison them, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, I didn't read a lot, and again, I probably could have done a little bit more investigation if I wasn't like, "Hey, Wednesday, Grace, you want to do this week?" Um, but I was gonna try to figure out like, were they passed out because he drugged them first, and that's why the shot? Because if you shoot the baby first, mm-hmm. the mom is gonna like fight. Probably right? notice. Yep. One of them should wake up. Like he can't shoot both at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you know. Yeah, but if it was right up against her head, what where the hair burned on the nozzle? And, she didn't have time. And she doesn't show signs of a struggle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the baby could have, and that's why he hit her. Maybe. Yeah. But they're literally. Um, I pictured them curled up because every yeah. ad said they were like every not ad, but every every report I read said they were curled up and they had to pull the baby out of her arms. Yeah. Which, uh, it's crazy. Uh, sorry. On January twenty third. The state trooper called Neil at his parents' home in Warsaw. The call would last two hours, and it was recorded. Here's Neil's story. Guys, here's what he says to the cop that day. On the morning of the murders, he had left Hopkinton around 9 a.m. to run errands. His wife and daughter were both alive and well, but sleeping in the bed in in their master bedroom. He claimed that when he returned around 11, he found both of them had been shot dead. Didn't say where he was those two hours, but when I returned around 11... They both had been shot dead. He then went to say he had no idea who killed them. Neil says he then covered their bodies with a blanket and did not alert any authorities. He immediately was so distraught, he went downstairs and grabbed a knife because he was going to kill himself because his whole world was over. However, he chickened out. He was unable to bring himself to end his life with a knife, so he drove the family's car to Rachel's mother's house because they have guns and I'm going to kill myself with those. However, when he gets there, he realizes, oops, the house is locked. I'm just going to fly home to see my parents in England. <laughs> what? Maybe they had a gun. <laughs> yeah. No guns. It's England. But Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah he no guns. Just thing. Driven but to he tax. had the keys in the car. Like, the cop knows this. They already got the... Yeah. Like, he had the keys to get in the home. You just fly to England because nobody's home. You don't call the cops. And he like... had a blockbuster card. <laughs> <laughs> he had to return the video. It's going to be like... Yeah. He had eight imagine, to deal with. imagine being in his head going through this thought process. Like, yeah, that that makes sense. I'll use that one. Yeah, I know. He's had weeks to come up with a better like story, and this is what they got. This is what, one of the things that makes you wonder how criminals ever get away with anything. Like, you've had almost a month to come up with the story, and this is the best this that you've come up with. This is what you did, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. And you just cover them up. The, the first part of it looks so guilty, too. I mean, you just cover them up with a blanket and don't call anybody. Yeah. Like, maybe covering them up because, like, that is a natural reaction. Mm-hmm. But then go downstairs and make a phone call. Yeah. You'd think. And did you not check for vital signs? Like, right. he didn't say any of that. Like, I checked them. They were definitely dead. Mm-hmm. You know? So, right. Or at after... least they would be by the time he's in England. So. Correct. Yes. Yeah. No he's point. like, get the fuck out of here. Uh, the police subsequently called Neil a person of interest. <laughs> That makes sense. And they issued an international arrest warrant. On February 9th, it took them that long to get to him, though. Um, Neil was arrested in the London Underground train at the Royal Oak Station following a detailed search of his parents' house. Neil eventually waived his right to consent to the extradition order and returned to the U.S. on February 15th, where he was arraigned at the Middlesex County Jail. 
On March, he was indicted in two counts of murder, illegal possession of firearm, and illegal possession of ammunition. He did not plead. Uh, he pleaded not guilty. Sorry. What I wanted to say about the when he got here, I was amazed um, in the book I read yesterday how many people went out in the streets to like hold signs to say fuck off. Like they held like baby murderer. Like people came out of their homes from yeah. the airport because they knew he was flying in. And um, he had to go through this neighborhood where everybody was out in the street holding signs like against him saying, uh, one said something like, uh, wait till you get there, we're going to kill you, baby. Like they all said, calling why, him a baby killer. Why are you surprised about that? Because all these people took the day off of work just to say you're uh, like, you well, know what I mean? Like murdering think, a baby is yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised yeah. how like when the book said he was driving down and he just kept looking down, but he, you could see him like... Uh, one of the guards that was in there said you could see him like looking out of the corner of his eyes, but he just kept looking down. But he kept being like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Yeah. I was kind of surprised. I think. Well, think about how many people take the day off for like the Super Bowl parade. That is true. Yeah. Let's so. go back to that, right? It is Boston. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it was from Logan all the way to the jail. Yeah. That they they lined the streets. and Yeah. It's like the um, marathon route. Mm-hmm. That is true. Correct. Yeah. Um, so he just got sentenced. Uh, nearly so is he a, still alive? He's yeah, he's still alive. He's in jail, chilling. Hmm. Nearly uh, nearly a year after the murders, officers at the jail found letters to his parents saying that he was going to kill himself. So they had to move him to the state hospital. Um, there, they put him under um, a suicide watch. He was in a cell by himself for twenty four hours, twenty three hours a day. Only allowed one hour a day out of his cell. There was a guard stationed outside his cell at all times. Um, despite numerous delays, the Middlesex Superior Court began a jury selection around 2008. There were concerns that due to the high-profile nature of this case, Neil would not receive a fair trial, trial. This was the third in a row. I don't know if you guys remember um, England, Massachusetts case. Do you remember um, at so the time? So there was the au pair. Yep. Oh, yeah. And let's see. what was the I'm trying to remember the third one. This was the third. Because that was a big part of the book, that this was the third case in a row that we had to, like, try somebody from England, and England was trying to uh, mess with it. Louise mm-hmm. Woodward was one. What was the other one? Oh, man, I wish I... Not so, sure. I was just trying to get through the book, and I was half asleep. Isn't this around the time of Lacey Peterson, too? It was. Yeah. Yeah, because th- mm-hmm. that gets brought up in the book. Mm-hmm. That how uh, these perfect husbands are... Yeah. Killing their These boys, babies, yeah. Yep, can't trust a Neil. <laughs> Anybody named Neil? Can't trust a Neil. They're out. Mm. Uh, <laughs> some media reported that potential jur- jurors were already indicating that they had already formed significant views against his guilt. That sounds so Boston to me. Like I'm on the trial. Well, that's fucking d- dudes an asshole. Yeah. Like the fact that they're openly admitting that they think he's guilty. Well, you know, if you are on jury selection and you have that prejudice, you should actually tell the court, you know, just be like, you know what, I'm not open minded because no matter what somebody's accused of, they really do have a right to an impartial jury. Yeah, absolutely. So if you do and we can all develop biases, you know, and be like, you know what, I'm already convinced this person's guilty. Mm hmm. So it would be really hard with a baby killer. I feel like she's nine months old. Like it would be, yeah. It's hard to find very. a good jury for something like that mm-hmm. because yeah. you know. But it is. I mean, the justice system doesn't work if just because what you were accused of leads to your conviction too. So that's a problem, you know. 
then you get every cop killer, you know, every person accused of killing a cop is going to get convicted whether they're guilty or not. Right. So, you know, yeah. but. Well, there was also so much in the news about this that it would have been hard not to go, this arsehole's guilty. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot yeah. in the news about this at yeah. the time. There yeah. definitely was. And he, and he was guilty, but, you know, still, yeah. it's like, you <laughs> so, know, if you're on the jury selection, you kind of got to be like, yeah, I I think he's guilty. I already, I'm already convinced. I mean. And this one, there's so much evidence. I mean, they have the gun. They have his mm -hmm. DNA. They, like, he escaped the country. Like, there's so much evidence. I mean, yeah. in a moment, we're going to see where they try to get that thrown out. But And was all of that, like, in the press already? So oh, the yeah. police didn't do a good job yeah. to yeah. keep that evidence. This was when Martha Coaxley was, like, kind of in trouble. I don't know if you guys remember this time in history where she um, was um, governing over this. I forget, It was right before she got elected. What was her position? Does anybody... She was general, Martha Coakley. Yeah, was Marcia, the, um, Martha Coakley. Attorney she was the, general. Attorney general. Yeah, she yeah. was the attorney state general. Thank state you. State attorney general. Yeah. yeah. So she was under because uh, seventy-five percent of murders in Boston were unsolved at the time, and this became one of them. And they were giving her a very hard time about not getting him back fast enough. Um, so I think she was also leaking stuff to the press. Sounds like sure. just Almost. a couple weeks though for extradition. That seems yeah. pretty fast to me. It was pretty fast. But she was, like, trying to say, like, look, guys, I'm doing my job. Shortly after she ran, right after this case, to be like, oh, look how fast I am. Oh. Look how well I did. Like, I'm awesome. But, like, still, that 75% stat was still there. Yeah. She was like, don't look over here. Look over here, you know. And people do make, uh, you know, the, like, all it takes is for a news station to say, hey, this is taking forever for an extradition. And the reality is that it usually takes quite a long yeah, time. Yeah, it takes a long time. Um, yeah. 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 Years. At least, um, yeah. When Charles Ng, when we wanted to extradite Charles Ng, which, who was a serial killer from Canada. Um, that he was Canada. an American serial killer, yes. wasn't he? But, <laughs> but he was in Canada. <laughs> but this Craig's is like, like a sore, sore spot for a lot of us Canadians. Is like, we didn't want that asshole up there either. We wanted him shipped out, and we were pissed off at our government for not doing it. And it was actually when... At, at, at like one point, because it was California trying to extradite them, they're like, okay, well, these are all the people he killed. If you really want them, you can have them. <laughs> and then they're like, you know what? On second thought, you know, <laughs> here you go. We've now thought about this. We don't want him either. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that whole we don't have the death penalty and we yes. won't extradite to a place that does. But yeah. at least in the part of the country I'm from, we're like, extradite, death penalty is cool. Get them at the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. So Neil hired um, an interesting legal team. It was Elliot Weisman, if you uh, Weinstein, sorry. He, if you Google him um, in the trial, he is a crazy, crazy attorney. Um, I almost feel like you could just do a whole episode on his cases because he is famous for um, defending the wrong person. Uh, hmm. Every bad guy you can think of that came through a lot of these cases, he was their attorney. So he was famous for representing the bad guy that nobody else wanted. Um, he was an avid civil rights guy who felt um, that he was trying to make sure that nothing went wrong. So that's where he goes with this a lot, that they had no permission to enter the home. So he starts talking about all the things that the cops did wrong. But in the trial, they really, in the book that I read, they almost a whole paragraph just on his other cases, which is actually pretty cool. Um, I didn't put it in here, obviously, but um, he has an interesting caseload, and then he dies of pancreatic cancer. But um, he represented a lot of the... Um, a lot of uh, gang members, a lot of uh, just bad guys, yeah. bad, 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 bad guys. So in the case, in his point of entering the home, this was not 
to actually search for crime evidence. This was a, a wellness check, and it wasn't set up to be, you know, like we're just coming in to search for a criminal, like a drug dealer. We're raiding right. a drug dealer's house, and we're using this as an excuse. Actually, that's quite clear because they didn't find the bodies the first time. So they weren't thoroughly searching the house. They were seeing if somebody was inside hurt. And right, that's actually search. a legitimate reason if you have people that are close to you that are saying, hey, you know what? These people, they always answer their door. I'm worried about them. They could be inside hurt. Mm -hmm. The police have a right to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's why they called it a wellness check. And, yeah. and, they did, and many people like... Um, on the episode, really bashed the police for not finding the body the first day, but the cop's like, I'm not there to search. I'm there to just casually go through every room. There was no smell that day. Like, it was the night before. Like, they hadn't started decomposing yet. Yeah, yeah I mean, when, the, when they're doing that, they're just looking for, like, somebody fell down and they're stuck somewhere, you know, like, and if you ever fall and break your leg and you can't get out of your garage, you'd be happy that, you know, if somebody came in and found you. Yeah. You know, so. But he's saying that sent uh, he his major part of the case is that they didn't they needed Neil's permission to get there, to get inside, mm -hmm. and everything after that should be thrown out. The gun, every everything in the home, should but be just, thrown out because uh, his attorney. Yeah, that's yeah. how he defends him. Um, basically, says like everything should go away because Neil should have given you consent. Don't worry, the judge says fuck off. Neil lost yeah. his consent when he left the country. Yeah, I just find that funny to hear that argument. Like that's your argument. To, it's just weird. So, it, it's. It, I mean, I guess you have to play your cards, no, right? No, it's like you're proving that you're guilty right there. Correct. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> the judge basically says he gave up his rights when he left the country, and the fact that he left the dog there, the the judge actually mentions like not only did you flee the country, but you put a dog in danger too. Like I could be yeah, charging you with animal cruelty as yeah, well, yeah, yeah. and sure. you're lucky that's not on here. But nothing happened to the dog, so she couldn't charge him. But like mm -hmm. she was saying, had nobody come there that next day, that would have been animal cruelty as well. You would have locked your yeah. dog in, you know. There's... Sure. Just the audacity to yeah. plead not guilty. It's weird. Yep. People are gross, Steve. People are gross. Um, Neil was found guilty of all charges on June 25th, 2008. So now it's been two years. He is sentenced to life imprisonment without a possibility of parole. The judge actually goes, uh, makes it very clear she wants him to serve his whole life sentence. She says it's only subject to a governor's pardon or successful appeal. She imposes um, two life sentences on the murder charges and 10 years probation on the firearms and the ammunition charges, all to run concurrently. And she also adds the condition that he can never sell his story to anybody. That's interesting. Yeah, That's yeah she hated him. Many states have finally put in, you can't. Because there are people who make a lot of money. Like the like Ice Man tons did of money. Yeah. Like o make OJ, a lot right? of money when he was given those interviews. Yeah. So. Oh, did OJ like make a lot of money too? I mean, it doesn't fit to just yeah. things, but it's, but it's awesome that she was thinking of that. Right. Like, no, you're not going to profit from your crimes. But still, he, could, he did. Interesting. Yeah. No one can ever support you. And the girl who wrote the book that I read was like a court reporter. So it's not like anybody... Um, so he can never sell a story. Um, Neil's conviction was automatically appealed to the Massachusetts Supreme Court. They rejected it. It then went to the U.S. Supreme Court. They declined to hear it. They're like, this guy's an idiot. Uh, Neil exhausted, has now exhausted all of his appeals. His parents continue to insist that their son is innocent. Duh. Rachel is the true killer, is what they say. So what? she shot herself 
but the gun wasn't in her hand. Like she shoots herself in the head, and then she framed him by putting the gun, gun his... the at her parents in Carver. Yeah. Like remember, the gun has to get to Carver, yeah. right? From Hopkinson to Carver. Arm. That's not close. That's yeah. pretty good. She kills herself and moves the gun, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and then goes back into bed and holds the baby. They feel he will eventually be cleared and released from prison with apology. Um, his mother said after the trial, the evidence all points to Rachel murdering her grandchild and then committing suicide. Oh, I'm not sure why nobody's looking at this option. Because it's not true. Yeah, yeah I mean. Here's the part that I thought was awesome. This is my last little part about it. And then, um, but I want to add something else at the end of this. But my last thing I wrote was Rachel and Lillian are buried together in the Evergreen Cemetery in Kingston, Mass. With the surname Souza. parents took off her married name. They're buried with a single coffin. Lillian's birth and death certificates were re-edited to say that the father is unknown. I don't, didn't know you could do that, but I fucking love it. I didn't it. think you could change the birth certificate. Yeah. They changed it. Okay. <laughs> this fucking guy good. doesn't exist. So when he was in jail, he threatened to kill himself. Um, I want to go back to this point. He said in his like wishes, like, once I've carried this out, can somebody please scatter my ashes over the grave of my wife and daughter so I can be with them forever? The mother started petitioning the court right away. This fucking guy can come nowhere near this. Yeah. Like, I don't want his ashes anywhere near my daughter, this piece of shit. Like, she, like, had to leave the courtroom when she read that part. She was like, are you fucking kidding me? No kidding. Like, yeah. my daughter and my granddaughter are dead, and you want to sprinkle your ashes over the top of them, and you killed them? Yeah, that's awful. The guy what? sounds delusional. Oh, yeah. Delusional, yeah, right? Definitely. And, you know, the thing, too, in prison is that, like, they talk about solitary confinement being bad. Psych is actually worse in most prisons. Like, if you get put in the psych unit, yeah. you'd much rather be in solitary. It's a nasty, nasty things that they do to people in psych units. Ooh. So if you're going around saying, I'm going to kill myself in prison, you've got issues. He actually, the first day he gets the psych ward, he gets drop kicked by another. Oh, yeah. I mean, because they know he's a baby killer. So as he's coming into the ward, they're yelling, baby killer. And one of the guys was passing him by. And he literally, even though he's cuffed and shackled, jumps up and double kicks him to the chest and throws Neil back. Oh, my goodness. And he called him a baby, like, it was like baby killer and, like, kept going. Gross. Like, the guy's shackled and on both. And he still gets a full what kick to the chest. What person is he in? He was in Bridgewater at that time. Oh, uh, now okay. he's in... Uh, is he in the Seuss? Yeah, I think so. That's a nasty, nasty they, they should just let him die. No, heard of him. Everybody, like, I'm sure he's in some kind of special management yeah. because if you, you know, there's no way you can be in the population when you killed a baby. But that's the case, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Well, not enjoyed, enjoyed it, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's it's gross. It, I, I remember this case for the fact that he killed the baby. Yeah. Again, I said it before. I don't understand why you would ever kill your own child. So that part always. Kill any child. A little baby. Yeah. Yeah. Any child. Especially your own, though. Because I feel yeah. like your own, you almost feel like, to the most part, most people say you think your kids are infallible. So to think your kid is worth death is like mind blowing to me. For the record, I do not think my kids are infallible. Holy shit. <laughs> I think they're nothing short of fallible in every fucking way. I was just talking to a school teacher the other day and she's like, if one more parent tells me not their kid, I'm gonna freaking yeah, kill him. Yeah. Like <laughs> But that's you know, that's the mentality sometimes you have it. Not my kid, somebody else's kid did that. But quite often it is your own kid. Oh, but yeah. for this guy to go to the point that he he kills the baby, like yeah. oh, disgusting. It's disgusting. 
right? Mm-hmm. Is it because he couldn't have got her across the pot? Like, I was trying to think, like, what would have been his options? Like, because, you know, I have this stupid mind. If he tried to get her on the plane, he would have had to have written permission from the mom. You have to have a notarized letter to take somebody. So maybe he was thinking he had no choice. I, I just, I don't know. Hmm. You can't fly without the permission of the other parent to another country. We know this. <laughs> We've been there. All too well. Yeah, I'm a notary, so a lot of my friends call me and be like, hey, my, I'm bringing this kid on to Bermuda with me, and both of their parents are going to come by your house and sign a notary. Yeah, sure, whatever. Like, so I do it quite often for people who are taking other, their friends <clears throat> on vacations or, you know, hmm. wherever. But. Steve, this guy sounds like he was fairly close to making your top ten list. No. This is pretty stupid. It's not Steve's top 10 list. It's Christina's. So he doesn't really know who's on it. Steve, parenthesis, Christina. (laughs) No, he don't consider him dumb more than just... uh, No, this is pretty dumb. This is... Yeah, it's pretty... Like, well, I mean... He left the next morning, Steve. Like, flew out of the country. (laughs) No, Like, not even tried to hide a little bit and be like... He's he's delusional. There's a difference. That is true. You did say something like, this isn't... uh, Our list doesn't have... Yeah. The following requirements. Like he doesn't he know. Doesn't he doesn't know it wasn't his episode. I literally laughed the whole. But it was home. a good uh, work of art that she did. It was. It was she did good work. Well, it sounds like we're wrapping up this episode. But I was thinking maybe one of these upcoming episodes, or even like an in between one, might be a good um, time to do like a follow up because there's another guy, Jaylani Day. Who washed up in a river not that long ago? Ooh. Yeah, with like no explanation. So the men have started drowning again. And I know um, Maura Murray, they've discovered some yep. remains around her. And Vanessa Marcotte, they just voted to, or the judge said that they couldn't include, or they couldn't not include the DNA yeah. evidence. The so DNA said, so that guy's convicted. Yeah, he okay. should be. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so those would be great little bonus episodes. Yeah, little follow-ups or something. Yeah, I love that idea. Lots going on. So, is next month going to be your dad or Dave? I mean, I can go next month. I'm gonna, and that might make sense because that'll be February, right? When do, the Olympics are about to start in February, right? I, I don't know. So, because I'm gonna do Nancy Kerrigan. Oh, okay, that'll so, be fun. Yeah. I figured yeah. since the Olympics were going to be on, that would make sense. Okay. So I'll do the attack on her. Yeah. Did you ever watch uh, the movie I, Tanya? No. I didn't, uh, but I'm going to watch Definitely it beforehand. Watch it. Um, you know, I don't believe Tanya Harding. I've looked yeah. enough of the, the case that, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> when I first moved to Wisconsin, um, the local newspaper does like a once a month narrative on on movies like that. And I went to the I, Tanya one, which was kind of cool. So it was like the... It's called the Cap Times, which would be like our Worcester Telegram. And the reporters get up and, like, after the movie, you all stay there and have snacks and you talk about the case, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's different. Yeah. And when I did that for Itanya, and it was I thought it was uh, surprising what yeah. that movie says. Hmm. And Margot, whatever her name is, yeah, does a fantastic job. Yeah, I thought that job. movie was kind of trying to make her look like she didn't have no- prior knowledge. I think it just kind of showed me that there are sometimes two sides to every story. Yeah. Not to say that she didn't do it, but mm-hmm. there is a possibility that there is another side to a story. Well, yeah. I mean, her mother could have also... Her mother was fucking crazy. Her mother was. She was living vicariously through her daughter. That and happens all the time. Yeah, so... The girl that yeah. played her mother in the movie, too? Awesome. What's her name? Yeah. Oh, so I could see that. Like, in sports, 
youth sports, um, and this sort of almost qualifies, it's like sometimes the kids are crazy, but the parents are always crazier. Right. Yeah. Parents are always crazier. I think so, too. Because so as I, soon as you throw a parent there, the whole ball game changes. Look at that one they just spoke the other day. Um, somebody tackled her son at a football game, and she tackled him <laughs> on the sideline. Damn. High school. Mother jumps from the sideline and tackled the boy who just tackled her boy. I wouldn't know anything about crazy parents. Well, I only coach at... cheerleading. They're all normal there. So. Sure. Look at who the... the fuck tackles a teenage boy? Look at the recent case uh, in Pennsylvania with the parents who the mom bought their child a gun and he shot up the school. Oh, that case is crazy. And then the parents fled. Yeah. And now the parents are like, why are we being treated so badly? And did you see the mom had like priorly posted things for Trump? Like if you mm-hmm. Google her, she's oh, yeah. pretty interesting. They were gun, you know, they're, they're obsessed with guns. It's, it's an illness when you are this obsessed with guns. I mean, you just have like, but you know people like that. I think most people do that just, they just get off on their guns. It's like, really? It's phallic, Something right? fucking wrong with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like guitars, but I don't like, you know, I, I mean, I still use normal porn. I was like, were you going to say you were going to have sex with a guitar? <laughs> yeah. As it turns out, well, normal. Yeah, special modification on Dave's guitars. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a glory hole right there in the middle. <laughs> Gives new meaning to the whammy bar. Remember when we, when we played that game where both of you were like, it was something like, what would be a great thing on a car? Both of them wrote a blowjob no, machine. No, it was three of us. <laughs> Virtually every guy who was involved in that had the same answer. Yeah, it was like a creative thing. Like, draw what you think would be a great invention for a car. And they all drew blowjob machines. <laughs> what did you draw? Not a blowjob. <laughs> no. I'm trying remembers. to think what I would draw. Probably like a cell phone holder. Something cool to like read my like. Yeah, something exactly. usable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it'd be something easy for me. But Maybe my see, Alexa. Can I she can be see in the one car? of the Japanese manufacturers coming out with this? So Honda, Toyota, if you're listening. Sure, one of the G. Hey, blowjob yeah. machine. I can't use that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Man only vehicle. <laughs> this is made for if you have a penis and a Tesla. This is what comes out. <laughs> While you're driving down the street, the car will take over and automatically drive for you. So you can close your eyes if you want. Have some fun. There you go. What the fuck? <laughs> well, Steve's car now has a feature in it where he can make it seem like someone in a random seat farted. So if that's a thing. <laughs> he's over there laughing. He's like, hey, do that all the time. Is that your favorite feature, Steve? Because I've seen you playing with it. <laughs> no comment. Um, not the fart machine, but um, <laughs> but no, I do not use that. There's no way. That's only for the first entries. Oh, first ride, it's going to make... <laughs> Before you even close the door when you enter Steve's car. Want to go for a ride? <laughs> <laughs> Upon first arrival, you get the toot. It's like you're welcome. Welcome to my vehicle. I'm going to make you fart. And it's only for the back seat. <laughs> Steve is such a grown-up. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, (laughs) bye, guys. (laughs) See you next month. See ya. Thank you for listening to us on this episode of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite app so you don't miss an episode. 
You can also send us an email to cocktailsmocktailsandcrime at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Or Twitter at CMCrime1. See you all next week.